Buckle up! It's showtime! It's time for the green room with Sean Green. Oh, no, the rat! Let's go! With the show! All right, let's do it. All righty then, let's get started. And now for the moment no one's been waiting for. Let's check this out! Welcome, everybody. We're doing it live here in the green room on 247comedy.com. It's the Green Room Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Green. I'd like to welcome on my special guest for the evening, Mr. Ahmed Weinberg. Hey. How's hey it going, everybody. man? Great. Great. Thanks for uh thanks for coming on the program. Sure. I'd love I love to be here. Yep. Thank you. It's good old uh good old podcasting, uh getting ready. We were hanging out beforehand. Mm. We were mixing it up. And there is uh yeah, we were talking about it right before we started the podcast, but there is that I don't like to hang out a lot before because I feel like, hey, this conversation that we're having, we're, we're hitting on a lot of topics. <laughs> yeah, it's And then sometimes I'm like, oh, man, I wish you would expand on that in the conversation. But then part of me knows that if I bring this up again in the podcast, it's not going to have that same fresh conversation quality. Sure. Now I get why you seem so disinterested in yeah, everything. Yeah, no, I wasn't. You, you were thinking, oh, my God, Sean's just tuning me out, watching the game in the background. No, I was listening, actively taking notes in my brain, <laughs> waiting to bring them up when we fired up the podcast. Right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> what, what, you know, what did we talk about first? I feel like it was uh, we Paranormal can, Activity 4. Parano- yeah, we'll start there. Paranormal Let's Activity there. 4. You saw that. What did you think of the film? It was trash. It was, it was well it was it was kind of scary but the the theme of these the theme of paranormal activity is uh it's like a modern day horror film uh involving rich white people dying which is great but uh you know they they use all this modern technology and most of the, most of the movie I felt like was an advertise like it was a huge crate and barrel slash apple slash pop chips slash <laughs> Pepsi advertisement. but Now, Pepsi's been in the product placement game for a long time because just the other day I was watching Back to the Future, Back to the Future 1, great, great classic film, and you forget how much product placement is in that movie. Like every two seconds there's a Pepsi, uh, Marty's always having a Pepsi, he's huh. a Pepsi at a diner, there's, there's a ton of product placement. And a lot of it too, they kind of get away with the novelty of it, like, oh hey, these are what the future shoes look like. But still, all it is is it's an advertisement of Nike shoes. Right. Yeah, they go to Nike and they say, "Design some future shoes for us." Well, and yeah, exactly. And Spielberg, I Spielberg, I didn't realize was an executive producer on Back to the Future, and he was also an executive producer on. Well, I think he directed. I'm sure he was executive producer as well. He directed um, E.T. Uh-huh. And wasn't that one of the? Uh, I feel like that was kind of the pivotal moment in product placement was in E.T. with the Reese's Pieces. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that was the first. In my mind, at least, Ooh. that was the first moment where it was like, okay, I, I became aware maybe. of product placement. Yeah. Now, maybe, I, maybe I'm just wrong. I, I'm making up my own film history here. Maybe. Maybe maybe in The Shining, the, the Louisville slugger. Yeah, could be that. Goes at his wife with that, and I was like, I need one of those. <laughs> that, 
that looks that looks fun. I do miss that. I mean, I still get that sometimes now, but as a kid, every single movie I watched, I immediately wanted to become that thing like, oh, it whether it, how outrageous it was. Like obviously you watch Major League or Field of Dreams, you're like, "Oh, hey, I want to play ba- well, Field of Dreams, I guess you want a dead father that you have to reconnect with, but whatever. You want to be whatever they're doing." Right. Um it, in the same way, like, uh, you know, oh, hey, I want to be a dinosaur, I want to be a deer, like, whatever whatever kind of thing there was going on in the movie. And even now, like, I watch Fast Five, and it's not, I don't know, it's not the same. Like, I don't have the desire to join a street game. Like, I drive a little bit faster out of the parking lot, but <laughs> I kind of miss that miss that where it totally captures your imagination. You're now, just peeling out of the parking lot <laughs> at 80, just... It, although, yeah, I think uh, Dane Cook had a bit about that where everything you do in a parking lot, for whatever reason, the acoustics, it just – it does sound like you're peeling out regardless of whether you're going like 10 miles an hour. <laughs> just as little like – Oh, that's and it so just, true. And it just re – you know, I think it's just the echo or something. The acoustics of the parking garage just makes it sound like you're burning out every 10 seconds. It's just the least badass like me and my 98 Volvo <laughs> burning out at – Five miles per hour. Just slowly inching out of a parking spot, but it's, you know. Squeezing into those compact spaces, that's what I do. I, I feel like, um, now this is maybe a L.A. thing. Maybe they do it in New York, too, because parking's bad there, but I, I feel like that those compact spaces are pretty pointless. I feel, because it's just something that's self-regulated that no one, I mean, people cheat on their taxes, and there's like... It, there's dire consequences of that. Do you think people are going to self-regulate these compact spaces? Like, no. No, not at all. Has anyone – have you ever been with someone who was in an SUV and they were about to park in a compact space, saw the sign that said compact space and didn't park in it regardless? I don't think anybody takes that seriously and I don't think they're going to ticket anybody. And also the other thing is those signs that say, uh, you know, head in only – that's to prevent. Uh, that's to prevent them from not being able to tow you. Oh, really? Yeah. So you can just back in, and and there's nothing they can do about it. Oh, they... wow. So if you back in, then uh, what? That's, what, that's always what I assumed. Actually, maybe I'm wrong. But head in only. I don't know why they would say that. I, I think maybe. Um, maybe it's a dead end. I don't know. Maybe they're worried about people trying to back in to the spot and like more inclined to hit stuff. I don't know. Maybe. It seems like they don't trust. And why should they? Really? Why should We're, they? you know, as a society, we've lost the trust of <laughs> we've lost it. There is no trust in society anymore. Mm. I, I'd like to pretend I knew a time when there was, but I got to be honest. I don't. So now. All right. Look, we, we hit on the uh, movie. Paranormal you saw. activity. Paranormal done. activity. Cut through that. Uh, we talked about how you're not a sports fan, not a big sports guy, but right. you grew up. Uh, well, I, I at least know you're from the Philadelphia area, but did you grow up there your whole life? Yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up in a building uh, connected to a mosque in West Philadelphia near, I don't know, I guess where Will Smith is from. It's the best way to describe it uh, to the public. And. <laughs> And yeah, I, I I lived in the same house. Like I moved out of there when I was ten, and then lived there till I was about twenty, and that was just down the block from the mosque. So I lived on the same block my whole time in Philly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So now you grew up in a building attached to the mosque. Yeah. Um, your first name is Ahmed. You are Muslim. It is. Yes. Correct. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Um, now, I'm g- were your parents, like, were they pretty religious growing up? Totally. My mom was extremely religious, still is, still very angry about my choice to come out here and not, <laughs> and not be religious. Uh, my father's less so, less intense about religion, but more intense about different things that are religious, like, like not drinking and not, you know, so your dad, even your dad now. Okay. Let's just get a little family history. Obviously people talk about, or, you know, you talk about it in your act and stuff. Your last name's Weinberg. Mm -hmm. So now was your, was your dad Jewish or your, or was there any Judaism in there? Yeah. I mean, my dad is from Brooklyn and he is like a Jew, but not like raised, he, you know, he wasn't raised religiously Jewish. So he's culturally Jewish. Culturally very Jewish. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's like, I grew up Muslim, but, uh, it was easy for me because I don't look Muslim and yeah. my last name's Weinberg. So I can just kind of zone in and out of like <laughs> different circles if I, if, if they seem, you know, whatever kind hostile. of what I, yeah. <laughs> Things get a little hot over here. You can move over. Yeah, just now, put on a different hat. Was your mom, was she born into the Muslim re- religion or did she convert at some point? She converted. She was Irish Catholic. Oh, wow. Explains okay. the red hair. Yeah, and she, yeah, so you're Mohammed Weinberg and you have red hair. Yeah. Well, it's Ahmed. But, oh, sorry. Uh, why did I keep saying Mohammed? I'm, I'm sorry. Gonna, I'm going to leave. <laughs> Actually, I was, I, I was at El Pollo Loco today uh, getting a burrito. And I can always tell when it's my ticket that they're about to read because they just look at it and have no idea how to say it. There's always a hesitance, <laughs> and I'm always just waiting for it. And today, like, he was reading off all the other names, like, all right, you know, Jeremy. You're right. <laughs> and then he gets to mine, obviously, and he just goes, uh, chicken and avocado burrito. <laughs> he just couldn't say it. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, that's me. So now, all right, okay. okay. Kind of getting the background there. Irish Catholic. My mom was one of ten children. Her father was in the military. They moved wow. around all the time. Extreme, strict upbringing. And, uh... Now, do you think, uh, just play armchair psychologist, do you think your mother's conversion to Muslim was like a way to kind of get attention from your grandfather or something like that? Do you Ooh. think, I mean, one out of ten, do you think was there something, what what moved her to convert? Um, I don't think she wanted to be super religious. I think she got, she was turned away, she was turned off by Catholicism. And, uh, she went, like, she went on, like, a, a hippie journey, I guess. Like, she lived with Native Americans for a while. She was in a tribe. Really? And now, what, what part of, uh... Where at? I think in Oregon, somewhere like that. So we're talking, what, 70s maybe? It sounds like something that would yeah, go down in the 70s. I think, and her name was Topi, which means hat woman, because she's the only <laughs> Native American with, uh, you know, pale Irish skin, so she would always wear hats, and that's how they, <laughs> that's how they knew her. But yeah, she, she did that for a while, and, and then at some point got turned on to this, uh, a guru. In Philadelphia, and went to check it out, and just became about that for the rest of her life. Wow! And like this guy who she became a disciple of a guru. Sounds intense. And so was my father. Oh, okay. So and your that's dad. How they met. Oh, okay. Now your dad. I say over a beer. <laughs> 
So, so now your dad, okay, sounds like he was from New York, grew up, like you said, not super religious, yeah. but grew up uh, as a Jew. And then he found out about this uh, this guy's teachings as well, and he got turned on. You're saying that's how they ended up meeting? He, my parent, or his parents got divorced. He went to live with his mom in Cambridge, and that was another hippie, that was a real hippie commune uh, type situation. And he got turned off by, I guess, like how the dynamic of of the hippies went. <laughs> like he was just around a lot of crazy shit, I think, at a young age. And uh, yeah, his mom got turned on to the same guru. And she was like, oh, this will be good for my son. And then they moved to Philadelphia together. Oh, wow. And just have been there since. So now you grew up in a house. Ha- it was a, like a house or apartment attached to the mosque. Yeah. So was that like, was the mosque, was that kind of like a part of your daily life? Or was it just like, hey, like how did it work? How how involved were you in the church? Or I guess not church, but in the mosque growing up? Like very, very much so. I mean, because we lived there. Oh. And so I had other friends that were kind of in the same community. And uh, this mosque, by the way, in Philadelphia is known as the Jewish mosque. (laughs) Amongst the the hardcore or the more you know mainstream Muslims, because there's so many people that you know are just white people that you know found this guru, <laughs> and then suddenly they're like, oh, I guess we're Muslims. <laughs> so there, you're, the, this mosque doesn't have a lot of street cred on the west side of Philadelphia. Like it's not the <laughs> it's not the hardcore born in the Middle East Muslim. It's more the convert. Like they see it as no, you know what? It, it's I think it does have the street cred, and it's a legitimate mosque. It, right? I think it's I just guess funny in there for these Muslims to go there and just be like, who? Like why are all these white people like hanging out outside? You know, it's kind of like a, just a different vibe. Than, than a lot of other mosques in Philadelphia. Yeah. So, but, it, yeah. Because it's people born in America, more of them? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of people that I think were just like my parents who were just looking for something outside of religion and, uh, you know, started following this guru. And then. Well, and in, in Christianity, I feel like it's the same type of thing. The. The people that are almost more devoted to Christianity are the people that kind of converted or born against. But the people born into it and kind of just grew up, I feel like, end up being less uh, intense with it because they didn't necessarily choose it. Like they were just, hey, I was born into this religion and kind of went along with it. But it seems like the people, you know, the evangelical or the born again, a lot of those people were people that came to it later in life and are kind of more more uh intense about it yeah or more strict about or i guess i don't know i just think there's maybe a different dynamic if it's something you choose to follow as a religion versus something that you're kind of born into and uh, go along with well i think it means more to somebody to find something yeah whereas like you're born into you know uh i mean and that's that's how i feel about comedy almost it's like I've found what I want to do in my life or like the people that I kind of want to identify with. And that's why I can put so much meaning into it. Yeah. Whereas like with, with my parents, it was, uh, you know, it, it was that, that guru and, and that was, that was it for them. Yeah. Well, in the same way that if you, if both your parents were comedians, yeah, you wouldn't feel like, Oh, comedy is my thing. Like I find comedy special. No. You're just like, oh, yeah, comedy, that's kind of a way of life. Because like you said, that's something that you didn't find yourself, so it's hard to create an identity with that. Now, when did – 
was it um now the community around you was it um was it like difficult growing up were people like oh hey you're real religious you don't really fit in did you go to a private school did you go to public school oh um no everything everything went pretty smoothly i would say i mean uh i went i ended up going to a an all-male private it's kind of a Catholic school uh, from second grade through 12th. Before that, I was homeschooled, and, and I went to a, an Islamic school in the city. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I got lucky and just ended up going to this this great school, uh, you know, for 10 years, which they immediately, like, accepted me. And, like, I, the first year I was there... And like, this was public? Uh, no, private. Private, okay. The first year I was there, we, like, you know, the class went on a field trip to the mosque, and everybody was just, like... Hey, it. so it was almost—it was almost like, oh, dude, you're badass. You live in a mosque, <laughs> like you almost had some cachet because you were different and interesting, and you—you uh-huh. you didn't feel like you stuck out in that sort of way. Yeah, it wasn't—it was never a negative thing, um, unless I made it a negative thing for myself. I mean, like the negative aspects of it were, like every day before school, I would have to wake up at three a.m. and go to prayers. Wow. Every like, day, 3 a.m.? Every single day. I mean, it, it, you have to pray before the sun rises, so, like, I would wake up at whatever time that was and uh, go up to the mosque and usually fall asleep and try and pray, I guess, and then after that, <laughs> get ready for school and go oh, and show man. up to first period and just be, just be like, completely out of it. <laughs> I mean, how, so you were just, like, tired your entire adolescence? Yeah. I'm still <laughs> tired a lot, but, like... <laughs> Is that why you got a, wanted to be a comedian so you could just sleep in? Is that like <laughs> is that your main motivation? Yeah, that's it. I have no care of of any other aspect of of comedy. Okay, now did you? Okay, so it sounded like you. Um, it was a positive uh, being Muslim and growing up uh, in that sense. Now, did you? Like once you started hitting the teen years, did you ever kind of grow resentful of your parents? Like, oh, this is. This religion's too much. This isn't for me. Well, I, you know, hey, I, I don't know if I'm on board with this. Yeah, I mean, I think almost everyone I've talked to that was raised in a strict way, like at a certain point, gets resentful of it, especially if it's keeping you from, uh, like, like at, when you're young, it's like everybody's kind of on the same wavelength. It's everybody's just kind of at fun, having school, joking around, playing video games or whatever. But then you get into high school and, and and life becomes about, you know, partying, I guess. And, exactly. And, and getting chicks, getting driving cars, and uh, getting bacon on your pizza. <laughs> that was that was my that's my reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just no. going to Taco Bell in a car was like, yeah, that's really you know, that was that was kinda like my main goal is just Senior lunch was like really exciting. So, well, the bacon was the easiest thing. Like, I, I mean, I was raised like no dating, no drinking, no bacon for sure. <laughs> the Muslims and the Jews agree on that. <laughs> That's one common thread. That's, That's one common how thread. can we not bring these two sides together over their mutual hatred of bacon? I don't know. It, it'll always, or mutual intolerance. And yeah, I guess bacon's one of those things you wouldn't know you like it until you had it. Or you wouldn't have a taste for it. And I'm sure, like, there's a lot of foods like that where if you didn't grow up eating it, you wouldn't, like, really be into it. Yeah. Well, my parents were vegetarian. That's another level of the whole of the whole thing. But the thing about, like, the bacon was the easiest part. It wasn't like my friends were, you know, getting together on the weekend and, like, 
like throwing down on like some prosciutto and just like going to town and like inviting girls. Hey, you want to come over for some BLTs? Yeah. Oh, sorry, you're different, Ahmed. <laughs> yeah, like all the chicks just like go to wherever the bacon is. I mean, that's just, uh, so it sounds like the chicks were the were the, the no dating was probably the hardest for sure. Yeah, it was it was like kind of beaten down into me, and like I I kind of started dating like. When I was in eighth grade, as much as people do, yeah, and then like there was a real negative reaction from from my parents, and then like I didn't. Was, so was that the first time where you felt like, hey, kind of what I want to do is being hampered by my parents? Was that kind of the first time? Yeah, it was more intense. Like when I was younger, like my parents were very against you know playing violent video games and watching violent movies, and that yeah. got me angry, but. Then, yeah, when the dating thing came around, it became like, all right, this is what everybody does for the rest <laughs> of their lives. Right. You know, it's like... No, but this is... Now, this is kind of interesting to me because it sounds like your... I mean, your mom grew up in a hippie complex. Your dad grew up in, in New York City. I feel like dating was probably pretty common in their in their teenage experiences. Or what about it, per se, in the religion was... Where they just felt like it would lead you to premarital sex. Like, what was their what was their hang up to dating? Yeah, From a was it a religious thing or was it just? It was. I mean, it was about premarital sex. It was about like, you know, I mean, religion is just all about monogamy and and committing yourself to one person and one vagina <laughs> for the rest of your life. But no, I think my parents found solstice in in that because I don't think that they enjoyed, uh, you know, alcohol and and dating. Like I think they were just more monogamously inclined mentally, and then they found this community where it's like that's what you're supposed to yeah, do. And they're like, the oh. values are celebrated, and like, yeah, right. this isn't hard. We're kind of already on board with this. Perfect. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> sure. You know, it's like, you know, it's what they it's what they wanted. So. Yeah, okay, they found basically, yeah, they found, like you said, like you were comparing it to comedy, they kind of found their niche or kind of what celebrated what they were into already. Yeah. So it kind of probably felt really validating, I would imagine. Yeah. Okay, so now your par you said your parents had a very negative reaction. I'm, I'm remembering the times my parents had negative reactions. It was to like partying and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, they would get pissed off. I get grounded. Did your parents get, did you get in a lot of trouble? Like, were they, was yelling? Were you punished uh, with like, I got arrested. I mean, what did they take away? <laughs> I got arrested like, Twice. Oh wow! Okay, here we go. And I also got I got pulled into a police station at a young age for uh, prank calling some <laughs> realtor. Every time I passed this house, I would prank call this woman and like threaten her. <laughs> like, like this, and it will see. There's two things here because a we wanted to be comic, so you wanted to be funny. But then b there is just especially for young guys, it, you know, there's just a. Hey, I want to mess with people. Like yeah. early, you just you don't really have any power, but all of a sudden you have access to the phone, or now kids <laughs> with the internet, and you're just like, Those kids. I want to mess with people. Yeah, well, it's so easy. I mean, you just go in a chat room and uh, you know pretend to be a young girl, and you can find some weirdo <laughs> and just mess with him. Or or like with this woman. I mean, I just pretended I was a gangster who was like trying to buy this really nice house. <laughs> 
and just saying how much cash I had. And then I think I went into going, like, saying I had bodies in the trunk or, like, some horrible thing. <laughs> yeah, and she was rightfully angry. Yeah, you don't realize, like, no, there are legitimately crazy people out there and that a random phone call might scare them. Yeah, I remember my one buddy, we were, like, now this is way back in the day. We are using dial-up modems to call these, like, random uh like bulletin boards where he could talk about football or something mm-hmm. and my one friend just went off on the Kansas City Chiefs and was like saying how he's going to like bomb the Kansas City Chiefs or you know like these vague threats that you would make as like a 12 year old <laughs> and then you know we were idiots cuz it was like a dial up modem that my dad also used as like a second phone line for his business or something and yeah. it rang and then he picked up and the guy just like basically just you know star 69 or whatever whatever star 67 the the number and then just called it back <laughs> it's oh, just so man. embarrassing stuff like that so you got you got called in the police state they actually brought you in for a crank calling yeah, my dad called me one day. I was like taking the train home from school, and he was like, "I," he's like, "I just got a call from the police station. We have to go in." And uh, he was so angry. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was so disappointed. And I remember the cop being way cooler than my dad. Like Mike, the cop was like, "Oh, kids will be kids." <laughs> and he was kind of he was reading through the transcripts and kind of laughing at yeah. stuff. Well, I mean, they're in West. I mean, you're in Philadelphia. Like they have. Yeah. The character that you were portraying, a guy who, you know, a gangster type guy who has bodies in the trunks. I mean, there, there is gang activity that goes on in the city. Oh, so yeah. the cop probably is like, oh, this is, oh, I have to do the uh, scared straight with the kid <laughs> making crank calls. Like, right. that's probably the best part of his day. Yeah, he picked the shortest straw and got the white kid doing crank calls instead <laughs> of the real thing, which was happening, you know. Five five miles away. I'm right, sure. exactly. There was legit gang activity. Kids probably getting jumped into gangs or or stuff like that going on somewhere in the city. So he got the, hey, don't do that again. All right, please. I'm terrified. <laughs> that would be great if they actually did a scared straight for crank calls. Like you know, just actually had you do the scared straight program just for crank calls. Like just the uh, you know hold my pocket boy you think you're gonna get funny on the phone we're only gonna get one call in jail and you better not make it a crank call better be to your lawyer yeah whose bridge is running now motherfucker <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that would be awesome so obviously your dad really pissed about that now what about <clears throat> so was there a breaking point where you're just like much like in the tv show breaking bad where yeah. you you probably which started- i haven't seen so Okay, I'm not going to ruin it, but the chemist goes bad. He breaks bad. Sure. The main character. So it sounds, I would imagine you're kind of dabbling with, was there a point where, hey, I'm going to drink alcohol? Was there ever a concerted effort of like, I'm going to rebel? Um, Just slowly started happening? There was a strong desire at first. I remember in eighth grade, I was like, all right, when I get to high school, I'm going to smoke a lot of weed. (laughs) It was like, just an idea I had in my head. And I, I went for it. Man. <laughs> like, I really committed. Uh, that was the first thing I really committed to in my life. Uh, getting high. Now what? Uh, so you started getting high like ninth grade, beginning of high school? Yeah, yeah. I this is embarrassing to say. I mean, I I do feel bad about about how I how I acted out. I mean, I I just felt like I should. Well, it is just funny to plan out, hey, man, when I'm going to get to high school, I'm going to get high. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I do. I mean, I remember on a smaller scale watching Saturday Night Live and, you know, you get all this drug education um, stuff going on. Well, they educate – they give you like 
it's weird. They give you like these drug talks, you know, in like third grade or fourth, where it's not really like prevalent. But I guess the idea is like, hey, brainwash you early. But I remember like watching these drug talks, and then I was thinking like, man, I'm never gonna do drugs except <laughs> weed. They talk about that on Saturday Night Live, and it seems pretty fun. <laughs> Chris Farley's making jokes about it. Like, oh, they joke about weed all the time on Saturday Night Live. That right. seems perfectly acceptable. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfectly fine. So you and, started getting and, high. Now was it was it tough to hide from your parents? I mean. Was is it tough to wake up at three a.m. to do your prayers when you were high? The at night this before? time, I was not waking up at three a.m. I had made that very clear that I was not going to do that. I I was still uh, fasting for Ramadan every year. Now, that how long how long does that go? That's a month of of during that month. You wake up before sunrise. You eat a ton of food, and then you don't eat or drink anything until the sun sets. And then you have a feast. Now, is that is that uh, is that really hard? I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like if you kind of got used to it, it wouldn't be that bad. I, I like on. Yeah, yeah. Is it, is it intense? It's really hard. It's like something that the month that you do it, it starts out really hard. Like that first week is like very grueling. And then it changes, but it doesn't get easier. So now your body, your brain just kind of goes a bit numb. And that just kind of like lasts, I guess. And you just like by the end of the month, you're like kind of a different person. Well, yeah, I'd imagine like you're kind of a better person, actually, I I would say. There's got to be a lot of discipline. And in a way, that sounds kind of like its own meditation because you're your body's experiencing like, give me food, give me water, give me food. And your brain is kind of just, oh. Like going past that, being like, there is no hunger, there is no thirst. Right. Um, you know, like you're kind of almost transcending your basic like uh, needs, which I imagine is a powerful feeling. Now, did you fast from marijuana when you're fasting in Ramadan? Because I feel like that would be the most torturous thing of all. You smoke a joint at like you know three forty five after you get out of class, and then you got to wait like six hours till you can eat. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is this is a horrible thing to say. But uh, there was a year where I fasted and I would um, I would get high <laughs> while I was fasting. And in my brain, I literally was like, I, I didn't really – I wasn't eating, you know? So it's like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> I just feel like that would just make it that much harder. You're just – you have the natural munchies and then you're high – I don't know. Maybe you don't you have the kinda... munchies at that point. You're a starving human <laughs> yeah. walking through the world, and then you and then you smoke pot, and it becomes like, uh, it's like, like a forest a fire. hallucinatory. Like you're just sitting there, like drawing food <laughs> in a little glass. Like there's nothing you can pay. And I I would get high and take the train home, and uh, that we would stop at 30th Street Station, and I would transfer trains and. All my friends that I just smoked pot with would go to McDonald's and feast. Oh, no. And I sometimes I would just do it. <laughs> just be like, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot last this next three hours. Yeah. And the McDonald's just was so good. Oh. And then I'd get home and my mom would be like, oh, how was your day of fasting? And I'd just be stoned and full of food and just be like, that was great, you know. <laughs> It was it was fine, you know. It was, uh, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. So, but it sounds like overall, well, now you can hide the you can hide the smoking weed stuff. But I imagine, did you start hiding like dating? When I mean, 
How was that? How did that angle work? No, I just didn't really date. It was kind of like uh, <laughs> well, it was my- kind of like a sensitive subject for me. Like through high school, I was just like I, I just felt really awkward about it. And yeah, I mean, other people, especially comics, <laughs> you know, it's like kind yeah, of a common thread. But- yeah, exactly. Yeah, mine wasn't forced on because of like my parents' religious views or anything. It was just like yeah, it's just kind of how it worked out. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, I had a couple chicks here and there, but never like yeah, I was by no way a ladies' man and. Uh, it would be nice to have an excuse to say, like, that's, that was the reason why more dating wasn't going on in high school. I wish I could use that excuse, because I, I got away with so much that uh, if I wanted to date, you know, I, I could have. But, but now, it, was that was not. Was that something that you... Now, I know, being Irish Catholic, you have a lot of, uh, a lot of things with guilt, or just guilt in general, about, like, being dishonest, or, you know, this feeling of, like, God's watching you, and you're always pissing off God. Did you have that a lot... I mean, not only with your parents, but in a religious sense as well. Yeah, I mean, I always felt guilty about about drinking, even though I did it. Uh, You're a bad boy. I'm just the worst, the worst <laughs> human. <laughs> no, I mean humans. it's it's uh, no, no. You shouldn't feel bad about it. I mean, it's it's natural, kind of. I mean, even uh, the Amish. What's their um, the Roofsplitzen? Roofsplitzen? No, yeah. so, it's some weird name. I know, like, everyone listening to the podcast right now is probably, well, I don't know how educated the audience is, but the, <laughs> people are probably yelling it out right now, but they, they have that little, basically, a year of, yeah, going of out just going out and just, like, not being Amish and kind of seeing, at, at least, at least you can say, you know, Obviously, you're born into that. You, you grow up with that, but at least you're kind of given that year to like, hey, is this really for you? I, yeah. You know, I think that's at least at least fair. And probably the people that do end up, I imagine it sounds like a lot of them do come back and they're like, yeah, this is for me. Then that probably makes it that much better, or at least like, hey, I I was able to see what was out there. You know, I'm more inclined to be with my family and follow this way of life. Sure. And I kind of <laughs> went the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's two ends of the spectrum. I mean, I, I could, you know, it's got to be intense. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very, like you said, it's something that they kind of already were set up, like, or it's seemingly like their values aligned with that. So they kind of, uh, yeah, they were they were on board. Now, what was the uh, what was the plan? What was your what was your game plan leaving high school? <laughs> Was it, hey, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to try to get away from college, or like get away from the city for college? Yeah, I mean, I, I went to University of Vermont first, and... Uh, so that, that aligns with your plan to smoke a ton of weed? <laughs> no, you know what, by the time I graduated high school, I wasn't really smoking anymore. You had just kind of, what, just gotten tired of it? I had gotten tired of it, my parents had found out and gotten very angry about it, and it was just kind of soured i guess for me i still really don't enjoy smoking pot uh but yeah i mean i i I went to university of vermont which is like the the number three reefer friendly school in the country yeah and uh i was surrounded by potheads which was great i always get along with potheads because they like very affable yeah 
And yeah. then also like to talk dumbly spiritual about <laughs> the way the world works. And I, I just... bet you blew a lot of minds talking about the Muslim religion and dorm rooms up in Vermont. <laughs> yeah, people were just tripping on shrooms going, what, man? You are a Muslim? <laughs> um. So, all right. So you you chose there. What was your kind of what was the goal or like why why Vermont? What was your what was your plan? To, what were you going to graduate in? What was, it was it was between University of Vermont and Temple University, which is in Philadelphia. Yeah. And Temple kind of I I I ended up transferring back to Temple, but uh, the reason I didn't go there is because it was home. Yeah. And I wanted to get away from home for at least a little bit and go up there in Vermont. Yeah. What just, were you what were you studying in Vermont? Uh, I started with business. I hated business school more than anything. And uh and then I started doing comedy in Vermont. Uh stand up. Well, I, I I had done stand up in in high school a little bit. So yeah, where does uh where does comedy come into play? Um comedy comes into play in 6th grade when someone dared me to do stand up at the talent show. Really? And I did, I did a set at the talent show, and uh, it went really well. And I, I immediately was like, "All right, I can identify with this." And then I just really always wanted to dive into it through high school. I never did, but then when I went to college, I was like, "I." It was always in the back of my head. I was like, "I'm gonna do comedy." Like, for now, sure. when uh, what kind of places are you doing up in Vermont? Um, the first. <laughs> I auditioned for a competition, <laughs> and this was, like, one of my first times. I mean, you know, I had done it a few times in Philly, but uh, I, I auditioned for this competition and got passed, and then that show was in front of, like, 250 people. Oh, wow. In this huge theater. And uh, I think it went okay. Uh, I was really nervous. I still watch the video, and it's like, oh, man, this guy... <laughs> Deer in the guy. headlights. Yeah, but I could always talk about Muslim stuff and, and make that funny. Like, well, yeah, I mean, just it's immediately interesting. A guy who, yeah, like you said, a, a pale-skinned, red-haired guy with a name, uh, a very Muslim name. That's right. immediately kind of like, oh, hey, that's interesting. So, and yeah, I'm sure you're used to cracking wise about it your whole life. So that kind of, I think that's probably a great way to, yeah, get started. Yeah, I mean, I... Do you remember some of your early Muslim jokes? Sure. The first joke I did in sixth grade, I uh, I said, I'm, you know, my name's Ahmed Weinberg. I'm, I'm half Muslim and half Jewish. You know, you think you have problems. I, I'm at a holy war with myself. <laughs> and that just killed. Like, I was just some young kid. Like, what is he yeah. saying? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of the kids... Didn't even understand the dynamic. Sure. <laughs> and, but they just go, oh, that sounds like two th You know, like... That just sounds funny. Yeah, And my exactly. dad wrote that joke for me. <laughs> and it killed. And actually, uh, I did that joke in Vermont when I was doing that big show. I remember, like, opening with that joke. And I think now it's like I talk more honestly about that stuff, or at least I try to. Yeah. Where it's like I'm I'm not at a holy war with myself. That's just a joke. Like now I try and actually t try and talk about it, but like. Right. Well, yeah. You were talking the other night. You were just like, 
Yeah, being a Muslim in America is really easy. All you have to do is not look like a Muslim and not do any of the things you're supposed to do. Like, it's surprisingly easy. I don't know why all these people are having such problems. Right. And, yeah, I mean, for me, as an audience member, that's way more interesting than kind of that, you know, that kind of just yeah, put a boom joke. But that, even that joke, you could tell that on The Tonight Show, and I'm sure that would get a ton of laughs. You yeah. know what I mean? Like. It's yeah, it's got a setup punch. It's kind of an interesting, quirky reality. People love those like kind of just half half this, half that, two part jokes. Like it's a solid joke. Your dad was on something. Now that's interesting that he gave you a joke. You would think maybe they're worried, like, oh, hey, encouraging his comedy, that's going to lead him. That's kind of the devil's music, the <laughs> playing the funny bone. That's the devil's instrument. Was there – I mean, it sounds like he wrote you a joke. Were they supportive of the idea of you pursuing comedy? Um, I don't think they realized how intense I loved it, like how intensely – like I, I remember doing that and then just being like, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. And for them, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, just go to college and, uh, you know, get a degree. And then when I was in Vermont, I did that show in front of 250 people. And I remember calling them and just being like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And, like, I just hope you guys are ready for that. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, the the troubling part, I don't think they ever took it seriously until a couple years ago when I dropped out of school and and, you know, came to los angeles to yeah. do it and then it was like to them it was like what is he doing like what <laughs> and i'm like i'm like oh all the warning signs were there trust me i told you guys exactly and i'm not i'm not kidding around about it you know like i'm I, i'm gonna do it uh, or at least try to right you know, yeah you're like hey guys i was trying to set you up dad this is what you get for encouraging me <laughs> in sixth grade your dad probably thought he was helping out with like the equivalent of like, oh, hey, it's the science fair project. Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, you know, Jewish, uh, Muslim, uh, holy warrior yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> you know, thought that would be the end of it. Right. Little did he know it would, uh, that joke would carry my career. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just set you on, uh, set you on a path. Now, obviously, there's a lot of, um, you know, people have a lot of ideas about Muslims in America or I guess like, uh, now how, how connected do you feel to like Muslims across the world? Like when you, when you see stuff about the Muslim world or people have thoughts about Muslims, does that, do you feel like personally connected to that or does that feel like something different? No, I never, I just felt as connected to it as I do any religion, to be honest. I mean, I was raised in it. I did go on the holy pilgrimage of, of Hajj when I was 10 years old to Mecca. Like I experienced all this. Stuff, but then you know, I also went on birthright to Israel. Oh, okay. Uh, and I so also, wait now. Uh, sorry to uh, jump to, now. Birthright to Israel. Why still pursue that? Because your dad was still wanted you to know about uh, Israeli culture, or no, it had nothing to do with my parents. It was a roommate I was living with in college. It's like hey, free trip, free trip to Israel, <laughs> free trip to Israel. That's how they sell it. But it's uh, it's an intense trip. And sounds were... like you do a lot. I mean, yeah, it's like basically selling you on Judaism, right? Or, yeah. or the idea of like moving back at some point, right? Yeah, or... It's a five thousand dollar trip that they just give you. I think I had an easy sell. I mean, I'm not Jewish because my mother isn't, but I went into this meeting and I was like, hey, I was raised Muslim. I'm interested in Judaism. <laughs> they're like, and they're like, all right, let's jackpot. get him. <laughs> let's get him. Oh, wait, we'll, so we'll write name, something on the pamphlet last for us. Name, last name was Weinberg. No, nah, we can pass this paperwork through. <laughs> 
Yeah, I did have some trouble at the airports, but but uh, oh man, yeah. But they, you know, they were like always with us, basically. Yeah, you know, it was, it was part of the birthright. And they do they 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 sell you on Judaism. They show you the most beautiful places. I mean, Israel is like amazing. No, it seems like an it's, awesome place. It's like a really beautiful place, and they really, you know, they you're you're with a group of young people, and then they they pair you. They kind of put soldiers in your group. Yeah. Who are these, like, beautiful Israeli women who are, like, so intelligent and awesome. And uh, I think, yeah, it's like it's like a big condo <laughs> pitch, basically. Exactly. Like, hey, come on over. Come on back. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm assuming, right? They want people to move back. They want to help grow Israel. I'm sure they want to keep the ties to uh, Jewish people in America strong and, and sure. kind of celebrate the heritage. So, like... Uh, you know, when 9-11 happens and there's all this, like, obviously negative publicity associated with the Muslim religion that the, you don't feel personally affected or you, you, you are know, you frustrated because you feel like people misunderstand stuff? That was, like, a very significant point in my life because up till then I never associated Islam with anything negative. Yeah. Because it was just what I'm from, it's what I am, it's different, <laughs> but it's, like... Uh, you know, it's cool. It's fine. And then I remember 9-11 on that day walking with my friend. Uh, it was just such an eerie day and like everybody was just so quiet and like my friend said something along the lines of like, oh, I, you know, I bet it was the, the Arabs. And that's just something he's heard at home. You know, yeah. it's not, it's got nothing to do with who he is really at that point, but it's like, at that point, I was just like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't, I had no idea what that meant. And then I kind of realized that there's this history of, of violence and all this stuff that, you know, was completely not part of my understanding of Islam. And then, yeah, it didn't change anything for me. It wasn't like, oh, now I associate negatively with Islam because... No, no, I'm just wondering, like... Did people maybe? I, I guess you don't seem, um, you know, like you said, you look, you look uh, obviously pale skin and stuff like that. Maybe either people treated you different, or you felt compelled to like speak up more about um, the Muslim religion because you felt like people. Obviously, it was in you know. Obviously, it was in uh, seen in poor light, or like your parents were. Oh, hey, this is going to bring a lot of negative attention, or like, was there any kind of. Was yeah. there a lot of talk about that? I mean, I remember just, you know, I mean, growing up in a mosque or near a mosque, it was like, uh, there was a there was a scare, you know? It was like, I remember my dad, like, mentioning that, oh, yeah, they probably, like, you know, tapped our phones or something. Like, I mean, he was just saying it, like, in passing, but, you know, it, it, it you know, we were just, like, suddenly represented something that was seen as negative. And yeah. I, and... Um, it wasn't like I ever got shit for it in my entire life, but part of that is definitely because I don't look right. The part. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure people got, got a lot of. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the people that were getting it weren't even, I, I forget what it was. Um, yeah, I mean, they're like people from India or what, you know, like they just had dark skin and had some different, you know, some sort of different kind of outfit and they were getting tons of shit. And it's just like, I mean, first off, those aren't even the, it's completely unrelated to their religion. Right. Like, yeah. you know, Hindu people or something getting shit for it. But 
Yeah, they kill less animals. Like yeah, exactly. They're <laughs> like they're they're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Totally. So now you come out here. You're doing the comedy thing. Um, are you still a vegetarian? Uh, for the most part, I was. I worked at a burrito place in Philly and started eating chicken back then. <laughs> and uh, I still eat chicken, but that's about it. Yeah. And so overall, your parents are like you said. They're kind of on board, but still freaked out by the whole idea of like. This is this is your uh this is basically your life. I think I think that they were freaked out but then at a certain point it was like, "Oh, I'm doing this every single day. I'm not like just fucking around." And uh have your parents come and seen you do stand up? I, I visited Philly like uh, a few months ago and and uh I was walking with my mom downtown and there was an open mic. And I dragged my mom into the first bar she's been in since she was in college. <laughs> like, my mom, this, you know, she's wearing a headscarf. Oh, really? Sitting in the back of a bar with a bunch of comics while I'm on stage. <laughs> that uh, is anyone... Bombing. I had a bad set. <laughs> because she was there, I was, like, just really... Oh, yeah, that's gotta uh, be... Yeah. Now, is there, uh, now, if my mom came into a bar with a headscarf, my first thing would just, or like a comedy open mic, not necessarily a bar, but my first thing would just be like, oh my God, please don't fuck with her in the crowd. Because as a comedian, I feel like that. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I just, knowing a lot of comedians that would go up there, and especially in an open mic, things aren't going well, you're grabbing for straws, you see someone wearing a headscarf feel like it's not out of the question that she might start getting worked into material. Was that kind of a fear there? Um, well, when I first came up, uh, into the open mic, they asked what my name was. The guy on stage just asked me because he was struggling. Yeah. And I said Ahmed, and he did a bunch of jokes about that <laughs> and got good laughs. But when my mom came in, there was no, there was nothing like that. Oh, okay. Uh, and actually, it was, it was like an urban room. I mean, it was, it was an urban room, so. <laughs> When she left, <laughs> just picture all these black guys like the record <laughs> needle dragging across the record, like what? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, the needle doesn't totally skip, but it's like yeah, it's what? like what? the music just changes a little bit. Yeah, well, I, you know, urban rooms—they're used to that kind of needle scratching on the records. <laughs> but she, as my mom was leaving, I think the the guy on stage said like, you know, goodbye, sister. It was like some sort of respectful thing. Oh, okay. That was really cool, and that was a good experience because at that point, my mom had hadn't really seen me seen me do stand up. She was like, oh, I kind of understand. <laughs> What you're doing, and it looks miserable. (laughs) So, did that help? Uh, Obviously, the show didn't go well, but yeah, does like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just the the idea of like a a mom who, uh, or or I'm just trying to wrap my head around the idea of like, yeah, that must seem, yeah, I don't know. Just seem it just seems like kind of an intense situation, or oh, for her to see me. Well, I guess just like that's got to be a lot of pressure because you want a to do well for your mom. I mean, I, I know the same thing perform in front of my parents, but mm-hmm. then throwing the fact that maybe she doesn't go out to obviously she's not hanging out at a lot of bars or, yeah. or whatever no. that adds a whole nother dynamic to it. Yeah, she hasn't. She's completely disassociated herself from alcohol, you know, for her entire life. And then, like, that's mainly where I live now. People that, uh, you know, places that serve alcohol and need to serve alcohol to make money. Um, Like, when you go home, do you drink at your house? Or is that, like... I don't want to, but I do usually. Do you just have a couple beers in the fridge? Oh, no, no, not at my house ever. Oh, okay, that's just, like... No, 
but I'll go out with friends who I haven't seen in a while. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, oh, we got to get a drunk, have a couple beers. <sighs> it's hard when you go back, too, because everyone you – if you've been away for a while, basically everyone – Who's either a townie or just hanging around the area or just anyone who hasn't seen you in a while feels compelled to buy you drinks. Yeah. I remember especially the first few times or, you know, even now, like when you go back, people feel like, oh, hey, Green's back in town. <laughs> and they get you really drunk. Right. And the next morning I'm waking up, like throwing up. But, you know, I got a weird cut on my leg. My mom's like, I think you're an alcoholic. I'm like, no, I'm just <laughs> a, a boy with nice manners. I'm not going to be rude to all these people <laughs> who buy me all this free booze. Yeah, I got cut trying to help a homeless man. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Try to help an old lady cross the street. <laughs> she whacked me with her cane. I don't know what happened. Right. You know what? I, I feel bad because I feel like every time I go home, not only do I drink, but I, I get very drunk and <laughs> and wake up in my house uh, and I'm hungover. And uh, I just have to tell them <laughs> because it, I'm not gonna I'm not going to just lie about anything anymore that's definitely a goal yeah and uh i don't i tell them like i'm not out getting wasted every night but like i'm home and my but it's, friends... it's tough to like see that from their point you know it's oh, tough sure. for them to put that in perspective because so disappointing they... <laughs> so so horribly I re- they don't want you to drink any alcohol so then you come home like, god my head hurts so bad and they're not yeah you're they're not sympathetic figures or at least my parents who've you know, enjoy drinking. At least they can kind of, you know, not when I was younger, but now that I'm an adult and if you say I'm hungover, you might get a little like, oh, hey, there's a pot of coffee over there. Your parents, right. it's like, well, Nothing. that's what you get. Yeah. You are a heathen. <laughs> and what you're feeling right now is uh, a, a punishment. <laughs> now, do your parents ever still try and get you back on the team? Do they ever like sit down and go, Hey, Ahmed, realize you've had the temptations, you've done this and that, but hey, it's really important. Would you reconsider? Uh, like, do they ever put out an olive branch or do they see, like, yeah. hey, it's not really something you're into, we're not going to push it? Um, I don't know. Last time I was home, I woke up and I was very hungover and I just told them, and my dad was like, he was just like, that's really disappointing. Like, like we're not. We don't do that, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I talked to my mom today and she was just like, you know, trying to get me to come home and (laughs) stuff. It's hard, man. It's really hard because I'll never, I know my entire life, I'll never fully feel comfortable, uh, away from that and I'll never feel comfortable within it. Like I can't. I can't be comfortable out here just like, you know, I can't just say, oh, fuck it, you know. Completely cut it off. But completely then. Completely cut it off. You I couldn't still go feel back and be. I'll feel the guilt forever. I just yeah. know that. But then if I go, if I go back, I can't fully dive into it. Like, there's just part of me that, uh, doesn't like religion, I guess. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. you know. It's not your thing. You're in the religion of uh, laughter, hanging out, drinking cold frosty ones. <laughs> but like you said, you don't want to. It's. I think. I think where you're coming from is like you have respect for it and you have an appreciation for your parents and stuff like that. But 
yeah, it's not it, – you don't have the passion to pursue it and kind of live that life. But you also don't want to just totally turn your back on everything and kind of be this bastard son. So you're right. trying to do that delicate balance of, hey, pursuing my dreams, my passion, but still being very respectful of what seems like two great parents. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I want to show them at some point that, that there's morality in comedy, you know, like – Right. The people that I love, like the stand-ups that I love, are usually saying something significant about the world without uh, bringing religion into it. And that's like, just, I just love that. I mean, it's... Yeah. No, it is, there's a there's a pureness to it. And it's, you know, it is a super positive thing at the end of the day. You go out there, I mean, there's all this negativity associated with the whole rigmarole surrounding comedy. But as a performer, it's so pure. You go up there... You have something to say. You make people laugh. You feel good about it. You end up even laughing on stage a little bit. The people that are there are to laugh. So you're creating all this positive laughter. Everyone has a good time. I mean, you are literally creating positivity and laughter and making people happy. So that should be considered like one of the best jobs of all time. And like, why are there not more comedians? Why aren't people just making people laugh everywhere? Like, it's the right. most. It really is at the core of it a pure, um, you know, a pure a job that creates bliss and is very, you know, self satisfying. So, yeah, maybe. Uh, Hey, it sounds like you'll figure it out. Yeah, I hope so, man. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll you'll get the I. I mean, yeah, and hopefully your parents see more of that, or or you know, don't see it as cut and dry as like either he's on board or he's not. I don't know, but it sounds like you guys. Yeah, you guys, I mean, yeah, I just it's like you just want to prove that morality exists outside of religion. I mean, that's just how I kind of. Well, right, and I, I think everyone, especially guys, you have that thing in you. You want to make your dad proud. But also, you you want to pursue what you're passionate about. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, trying to put those two things together. Everyone wants to be the good son or the good daughter. They want to make their parents proud. Like, even when you get older, I don't think that ever goes away. Mm-mm. So, yeah, you're doing that by, uh, you know, pursuing your passion, pursuing your dreams. Let's uh, let's end it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, let's wrap things up and uh, tell people what you got going on. What do you got coming up? Ooh. Where can people check you out? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I've been doing a couple podcasts lately, and people will say that, and I'm just like, I really don't have uh, any shows coming up. I have a show called Melgard Mondays, but we're not doing it this month because <laughs> we had some trouble with the bartender. Yeah. Uh, who's a real dick. It's okay. He doesn't listen to this. No, no, he doesn't. Um, and, well, you uh, just got a I'm website. A PA, so <laughs> yeah, so I got a website called Facebook. Okay. Uh, oh, follow me. You know, on Twitter. You know, a lot of throw out the Twitter handle. It's just my name, Ahmed Weinberg. Okay. Uh, see if you can spell it. You can probably <laughs> <laughs> join one of the many followers. I don't know. I mean, uh, I feel like I'm, you know. I don't have much going on, but uh, I feel like All I'm getting right. well, better, and that's that's cool. Yeah, you're a very funny stand-up. Appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to The Green Room. We do it live here every week on SeanTGreen.com. Peace. The Green Room with Sean Green. Keep up the great work. See you later. Download archived episodes at 247comedy.com and follow the show on Twitter at Green Room Show. He should have seen she was really naive. Shit, she was still only 19. And he was many years older. But he seen her walk by in them tight jeans.
treated her like that's my queen Cause he thought that he could mold her But it's over, yeah. no Larry was a 39-year-old dude